0: This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. The message to you this morning is called, What is God doing when life sucks? What is God doing when life sucks? Because life sucks sometimes, isn't it? I was on a train back from Twickenham yesterday, and it was a very, very long journey. (laughs) If you're coming back from Twickenham after Wales have lost you, it sucks. But you know, that's nothing massive compared to what really happens in life. And I've got a a message, a series that I'm going to be speaking on later in the year called It's It's Okay to Be Not Okay. You know, stuff that comes across us in life sometimes. You know, sometimes we think we have to be more than conquerors. But, you know, in the moment that stuff happens, it's okay to be not okay sometimes. You know, when stuff comes at you. And I want to speak two messages before I start that, that are going to build a foundation plan. And the foundation plan is simply this What is God doing when life sucks? So I'm getting to the part of the message now that is going to be really hard for me to share with. Because this message has been on my heart for about 18 months or so. I'm thinking, how am I going to speak this? How am I going to preach it? How's it going to go down? And I've got to say, I'm a big girl's blouse. Because when you have to share things that are deeply personal to you, it hurts. And I have two experiences that I need to share with you at the beginning of this talk in order for you to understand that God is there when life sucks. And sometimes we feel that he's not there. And sometimes we look around and say, God, what on earth are you doing? Where have you gone? We use this term, don't we, like that. The heavens are like brass, don't we? So I believe this message is being spoken to you right now because it's a God time for it to be spoken. Because you need to hear this word from God today. And I'm very rarely one of these people that will stand in front of people and say, I've got a word from God for you today. But church, just for once in my life, on what I've been going through the last couple of weeks and months, I want to tell you, and I need you to understand today, that this message is for you today. You need to take this down. You need to hide it in your heart. You need to nail it. And you need to understand that, God is there in the hardest of situations. He is working when life sucks. But right now, when you're going through it, and you're going through all kinds of things, you're saying, God, what on earth are you doing? So I want to share with you two stories. One that has a really cool ending. One of those stories that has a preacher ending. Do you know, like, preachers always have stories. I wish I did more international air travel because I listen to people like Robert Madu and Bill Hybels and everything. They've always got an airline story, haven't they? They've always got a, I was sat by a person on a plane story. Well, I don't have stories that are people on a plane story. But I've got one incredibly cool story that I want to share with you this morning of how God worked in Ruth and my life. And at one point, I was tempted to, do I get Ruth up here? uh, But both of us would probably be crying when I share it, so I will just embarrass myself. And this is the part of the the talk this morning that uh, is painful for me to share with you. Because both these experiences, for me personally, have been really, really painful. And I'll explain to you why. One is from 1997, and one is from 2000. And, seven. and what happened to Ruth and myself in 1997 is, like every young couple, Karis was on her way, and, uh, you know, we were going to have a, a baby, and we needed to upgrade our house. We lived in 155 Pennebranca, fantastic little terraced house that God has blessed us with. But we needed an upgrade. We needed a bigger house, because we had all these dreams and aspirations in our lives. We wanted to have at least two kids. We ended up with three lovely girls that God has blessed us with. We wanted to move house. And we looked around what was available. And I struck on this notion after reading uh, a, a magazine called Build It magazine that I had uh, picked up in a, in a, a newsagent. And I had this notion that we could build our own home. That I could become Bob the Builder. <laughs> and so that's what we did. And we began to look around. We found a lovely parcel of land that was in Millow. And it was one of those weird moments that happens to you in life. You know, sometimes when you need to make a career move or you need to ask that girl, guys, or you need to make a change. Sometimes it's hard to explain to people. You know because you you just know, don't you? How many of you get that sometimes? And other times it doesn't come. And you're thinking, Lord, I want that knowing feeling but it doesn't sometimes you just got to trust him I like what you said Dan earlier it's all about movement If we step out in God go in the right direction yes he will be the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights it just make the move and sometimes when we make the move we put our hands in God's and we trust him and other times when we make the move we just step out because we just know so this was one of those just know moments we're stand there and i stepped onto the land and as i stepped onto the land i just knew we were going to live there I, I can't explain to you i just knew that we were going to live there and we were going to raise our family and so that's what we did so i went to see the bank of david james morgan my dad and i said look dad i we, we, we're looking at this what do you think and he said well what do you think that's how dad would work and well, I would reasoned it with that, and he said yes. And, and he said, yeah, we're g- going to your dad for advice. So we went, and we went to buy this plot of land. And uh, the offer was accepted, at the estate agent, and everything was going through. And it was great—that that feeling. Ruth and I were good about it. We were going to buy this patch of land. It was fantastic. Guess what happened? Somebody goes into the estate agent, and they up the offer. They up the offer, and we can't go there. And so we went back to the estate agent, and I tell you what, do you know if somebody takes you an offer and you're selling your house, please guys, I don't think it's Christian to gazump people. You, let's be people of our word. So I went and uh, did everything in, in, in its place, and so we found ourselves with the estate agent and the solicitor, and they entered us into what's called a contract race. Some of you that are in the legal world might know. And basically they were going to sell the house... To sell the, sorry, the, um, the plot of land to the person that could complete the contract quite quickly well I got contacts haven't I and I've got contacts and I sorted it all out and I went to the solicitors, got everything sorted I was done within 24 hours I went to deliver it to the estate agent and guess what happened I'd delivered it there at like 9 o'clock in the morning and I'd got there and they beat me to it and I came home and I'll never forget and this is the bit that's painful because I you know, all our plans carries us on the way, Ruth, is like this. We live in with our in-laws. I love you to death, Brenda. But I don't like living with you because I like getting up in the morning and eating my porridge in my pants. And I can't quite can't quite do that when you're in a house, can I? So there was all of this stuff that was going on that we couldn't live life how we were living it. And I'll never forget and I came home and I said, Ruth. I said, We've lost the plot of land. And don't forget. Because, right, you, you can laugh at this, but to me and Ruth, it was real. <coughs> we held each other, and we went up to the, the bed. We were staying in the spare room at 3 Mardy Road at that time. We went up, and we held each other, and we cried. Because we just saw all of our dreams just disappear before us all of the plans of planning permission done this great house that we were going to build there all done all just gone and as we were there I began to say God where are you in this I stood on the land you you told me I felt it you will live here one day and that was it 18 months later we found a little Plot of land that was not as great, not as grand. I did some movement, Dan. I stepped out in God. We knew we were still supposed to build, but it wasn't quite the same. We were looking at this plot at Harvard Road up there in Ticros, and we looked at it and we thought, do we go and buy this? Yeah, okay, not that same feeling, but we need something, because we we'll now given birth to Caris, And we go and we buy the plot of uh, we, we make moves to buy the plot of land. This is in August. We are about to complete on the plot of land in tickross the next morning. I'm about to sign at the solicitor's office. And the phone call goes. And the phone goes. And uh, I pick up the phone and I said, is that Philip Morgan? I said, yes, it's Philip Morgan. It's Mr. Jones. All I can remember his name is Mr. Jones, a dentist from Swansea. And he said, um, I'm the owner of the plot of land that you wanted to purchase some years ago in Miller, do you still want to buy it? I'm <sighs> going to buy this other plot of land tomorrow morning, and it's all, uh, yeah, all of this stuff comes flooding back to me at that moment. That's where I'm supposed to live. God had given me a promise that we're going to live here one day, and so I'm there on the phone, and I say, I go into businessman mode. I said, "Yeah, but you know, you." You went into this stage, and you give it. If, if I'm going to buy you the land, I'm only going to buy it for the same price as I gave it back then. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, it's the same price." And you agreed the price and everything else like that, and everything was done. The documents came through. We went and signed the paperwork. But as part of the documents, guess what had happened? He had wanted to build one huge house on that plot of land. And what he had gone and done, he'd moved the sewer that would have cost us £15,000 to move the sewer. He had gone and done that, but couldn't build what he wanted to build on it. And the second thing, he bought an extra, the plot is nearly about a quarter of an acre, he bought an extra piece of ground that was improving the size of the house by another, th- the land by another third. Remember our house in and all in Millow, guys, we had a huge garden, didn't we? And, uh, you know, it, it increased the size of it. And I paid the same price. So God had saved Ruth and I 15,000 pounds. And had given us a bigger plot of land. And guess what happened? In 1999, uh, 2000 I think it was in February 2000. We moved into our brand new home that we had built. What a great story that is, isn't it? How God has great plans for you. And sometimes we don't know it. The text that I want to speak to you this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 19 verse 21. That quite simply says this, if Di can get the text up on screen for us. Proverbs 19 verse 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many were the plans that were in Ruth and my heart but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's a great story, isn't it? Typical preacher story. Well, let me share you with another one quickly that is deeply painful for me to share. This story comes from 2007. In 2007, those of you that know me know that I was contracted with TB. I was really ill uh, in the uh, summer of that year. I really have no recollection of January 2007 ever. I was diagnosed in the Uh, Christmas of 2006 on Christmas Eve, and then in 2007 I had TB, and they pump all of these wonderful drugs like ethambutamol ethambutamol and refitim and everything into you, and one of the side effects of it, and I'm sharing something deeply personal here that some of you are aware, the leadership team are aware, but uh, it affects your memory. I've always been a person that has prided myself on being able to remember your names. I could probably give the names of every person in this room. Most of you I know and you give me your name and I will just remember it. It's just, I've been blessed in that way. I very rarely speak with notes and in fact this morning I'm speaking again to you with no notes because God is on a process in my life. and The process that God is working on my life because Proverbs 19.21 is one that I've had to live by. Is that having got used to all of this habit of preaching and speaking and doing all of what I do in business, I began to question, Lord, what's the story around this TB? Because I had to go back and preach with notes because I would forget things. I'll meet you sometimes in the street down, and I'll, th- and I'll, I'll think, oh, Who is this guy? I remember it, but I c- my mind, I cannot recollect your name. It's like on occasions, as if I've had a kind of a stroke. I cannot. I know what it is. I know the word but I can't get it out of my mouth. It's been very, very difficult for me over the last uh, couple of years to cope with it. In fact, it led to situations that quite often I remember sharing up with Pastor Avion. I said, I don't know if I can speak on Sunday. I would have anxiety that I would get up onto the platform and and like, I wouldn't know loads of verses that I have put to memory and that I've got them in my head that I wouldn't be able to speak them. painful, painful experiences. God knows. God knows the times that I've spent in private and I'm saying, God, I know you've called me to preach. I've known you've called me to speak my word. I can't do it unless you're going to fix my head. I ask myself in those situations, God, where are you when life sucks? Where are you when I'm trying to do all of what I'm trying to do. And yet, I can't recollect stuff. I can't rely on my own mind. I felt as if I'm losing my mind. And I need to share that story with you because that's a work in progress. There is no fantastic ending. There is no somebody who came up to me in church and prayed on me and I was miraculously healed. There ain't no end to this story, but I know that His grace is sufficient for me. And I know if I just continue to serve Him, I know that God will just work around it, because that my plans are not part of His. My plans are smaller than His purpose. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture now and share a Bible story, and then I'm going to just there's just. This is kind of like a big tale that I'm telling you today. But some of you are going through stuff right now. And you are banging on the table of God's life for you. And you're saying, where are you? Some of you are ill. You've got stuff going on that nobody else in the room knows. And you're saying, God, what is the answer to this? I want to tell you that there's a purpose in it. You don't know it. But there's a purpose in it and you'll know one day. Some of you are asking questions about vision. Some of you are asking career questions. Some of you are asking marriage questions. Some of you are saying, God, there's a partner for me. Where is Mr. Superman? Because nobody in the church that I'm looking at is gorgeous enough for me. That's what you're saying, girls. And don't worry, the guys are looking around and they're seeing that there's nobody amongst the girls that's good enough for them. Well, they say, Lord, what will there be for me? I remember my prayer. Lord, I want someone to challenge my eyes, challenge my heart, challenge my head. And I can't believe that Ruth came into my life. Can't believe it. I'm so blessed to be married to such a wonderful woman. But God had someone for me. I just needed to be patient. I went through quite a few before getting to Ruth. I hasten to her. <laughs> that's not t- advice. <laughs> Where are we going to live? What about my job? What about me? It's tough, isn't it? That's the stuff of life. And sometimes you look at other people and you see their life real. You see their status on Facebook. You see their Twitter and their Instagram. And you see everything that's going on. And you say, why can't my life be like their life? I want to tell you, the stuff that you see on Facebook, people's life, that's just a facade. People put tints on to make themselves look better. You can pull your face in. I am, t- I am a stone lighter on Facebook. I can tell you that now. But we all, you know, have all of this stuff that goes out. But we look at it and we do the comparison thing and it feeds into our lives. And we look at it and we say, what about me? What about me, God? But I want to tell you this morning, and you need to know today, a message from God. There's a purpose in everything for what you are going through. So these two messages, I'm going to look at two things that are happening in Jesus' life. and One surrounding his friends and one surrounding his family. We're going to be looking at Lazarus and we're going to be looking at John the Baptist when we are together next time. So Lazarus and Mary and Martha were (laughs) Jesus' friends. You can read the story in John 11 that we're going to share together now. And in John chapter 11, you read, read this incredible story about Lazarus. The guys were talking to you about conference earlier on and the intentionality of going to a conference or going to listen to God, stepping towards him so he can step towards you. There are principles there. There are principles that are threefold there that I want to share with you just as a, as a quick sound bite in the middle of this. Your devotional time is seriously important in your life. Unless you're making time to find that armchair, spend at least 15 minutes a day, as we encourage you to do here at the church regularly, to go and speak to God. If you do not draw nigh to him, don't expect him to draw nigh to you. Because you are too busy. God's trying to text you and you're just ignoring it. God tries to call you and you're engaged because you're doing other stuff. The way God can speak to you is through the quiet time. So we see in Jesus' life, in, in Jesus' timesheet, if you were to split it out from Monday to, th- to Friday, you could, uh, sorry, Monday to Sunday, you can see Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives. Jesus retreats to be by himself at the Mount of Olives. The second thing he does, and this is what we're going to look at the story, is the power of friendship. Do you know, most Americans say now that their close friends have dropped to two on average. That they have only two really close friends. How many really close friends have you got in your life? Think about it right now. Do you know that number a decade ago used to be six? But life gets busier. It gets more stressful and we've got less friends. So Jesus had three particular friends in his life that he got away from the motley crew that were his disciples. Always mourning, always comparing, always complaining, always having to teach them because they were stupid at times. And he would chill and he would take time to be at Bethany. Read the scriptures, read Matthew, Mark and and Luke, the synoptic gospels that tell you about what Jesus had been doing in the account. And you can see Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives. But you can also see in his timesheet, Bethany, Bethany, Bethany. Because he loved going to see Mary, Martha and Lazarus. So this is, this is the same um, Mary that had, had gone and uh, washed Jesus' feet with perfume and he would love to be there. And Mary and Martha, and guys I'm going to give you a quick lesson here, Mary and Martha, some comparisons for you to see a people person and a process person. Because how many of you know there's people like that in life? There's people that like people. My daughter, Caris, is a people person. Always late because you've been chatting to somebody. Dad, you never guess who I met. And, and she's gone. She loves the social occasion. Caris, party animal. She'll you know, invite around your house. She'll be there tomorrow because she'd love to chat with you and find out what you're doing. My wife, on the other hand, Ruth, process person. With military precision, we have to depart from the house and the locations to where we're going. She's normally in at cares. Caris, are you ready? Because my mother is a process person. What am I, guys? People or process? People. Everybody knows I'm awful at processes. I'm a people person. I'll talk here all day. I can preach for about five hours. We leave at four o'clock. Is that right? And so we see the same thing happening in Jesus' life. So let's look at Matthew, uh, John chapter uh, 11 together as we go through this test. Now a man named Lazarus, uh, does John write to us, says that he was uh, in Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume over the Lord and wiped his feet with her, with her hair. So the sisters said word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. Just going to park there for one second. When your friendship is so close, you don't have to say the person's name. If someone was to come and to tell me, Philip, the one you truly love with all your heart has just gone home to be with Jesus I would know who you're talking about you would hopefully know that I'm talking about that something's happened to Ruth because she's the one I love with all my heart and so Lord the one you love is sick is coming from the sisters so we know who this that was the tightness of this friendship and this relationship a lesson to all of us of how we need to manage our close relationships with other people let's continue to verse 4 When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two days or more. (laughs) That's unbelievable, isn't it? Phil, the one you love, Ruth, she's really, really ill. I don't worry, I'll get back next Tuesday. Like, what? What is going on here with this relationship? Because Jesus has a bigger plan. Yeah, we've got our plan. Sorry, Jesus has a bigger purpose for this. We'll talk a bit of this plan and purpose in a moment. Verse 7. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there. Jesus answered are there not twelve hours of daylight a man who walks by day will not stumble for he sees by this world's light. I'm not going to go into that it's quite complicated but Jesus is going off on what is he often does. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles for he has no light. After he had said this he went on to tell them our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied Lord if he sleeps he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And I love this from Tom. It comes up in a minute, you yeah. know. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So there's no ambiguity about this. He's stating the facts. Guys, I know, you know, people are telling him he's sleeping, but he is dead. Dead, dead, dead. Can't get deader than that kind of dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him, says Jesus. Then Thomas called Didymus Said to the rest of his disciples Such a cheerful fellow Let us also go That we may die with him What a lovely guy is Tom on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Interesting thing here that I'm just going to tell you quickly is that there's like a belief in that day and age around that kind of stuff. A lot of it has gone on in like a, uh, like a, a strange faith called Kabbalah and everything else like that. That when you die, your, your spirit stays in you or around you for three days. And it's only on the, after that third day that you are dead, dead, dead. And it's interesting that Jesus was three days in the tomb And it's interesting that Lazarus is four days dead here. So if the Son of God is dead after three days, how much better is it that we can be dead after four days because greater are we in the power of his resurrection than he is even in himself. How amazing is that as a thought? On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Verse 18. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. So off they go. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Pause. Martha, process person. This is the same Martha that was having a go in the house when Mary when she's preparing the lasagna for Jesus and she and you know Mary is there, yap, 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 yap. Kind of what happens in our house. All the youth come round because Karis has invited the youth round to our house on a Sunday night. And Caris invites them. Caris is there on the sofa having a big chat with all the girls. While now mum is left, you know, in the stove and sorting pizzas and everything out. as she hosts so well for you all when she comes round. She's having to do the work off the back of her invitation. Process versus people. And so Martha now is going to come and have a very good go with Jesus. So what Martha is doing, because she's a process person. Process person who's pointy finger and hip. So she goes to meet Jesus because she's ticked. And, she, and so when she meets Jesus, she's like, and she's doing this. And she says this. She went out to meet him. Lord! That's what I think she's saying. Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, he even missed the funeral. Can you believe that? Missing the funeral of someone you say is your best friend? Unbelievable. But now I know, says Martha, that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day, talking about all of what's coming for all of us. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even though he dies and that's a promise to us today as well that's why the grave and death and hell has no power over us fantastic stuff 27 oh, and whoever lives in me will not die but live yes Lord she told him I believe that you are the Christ the son of the living God who has come into the world and after she had said this she went back and called her sister Mary so she goes back now. Process again, right? Marching all the way back now. She's given Jesus a good ticking off and said, "I told him straight, and I did my Mary," and she says, oh, pro- Ma- Mary's probably, I don't know, surfing the internet or iPad. I don't know what she's doing there because she's just chilling like Carles would." chilling and Mary comes in and, uh, and says to her uh, the teacher is here Martha says to Mary she said and is asking for you so quickly now Mary just decides to get some clothes on or whatever because she be dossing around the house as she is when Ma- Mary heard this she got up quickly and went to him. <laughs> I find this approach really interesting when we compare these two women in scripture emotionally have a look at this now Jesus had not entered the village but uh, village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforted her and noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So what people, people do, you see, is There's like a connection at a heart level that's beyond like rational thinking. She walks up to Jesus, no hip, no pointing finger. She goes up and she falls on his knees. If you were here, this would not have happened. Do you get it? Guys, just a lesson to you there about women and psychology. When Jesus saw weeping and the Jews who had come with it, also weeping, he was deeply moved inside his spirit and troubled. And all the time, Jesus knows the plan. I just find this passage of Scripture fascinating. He knows what's coming. He's already told the disciples back two miles ago, two days ago, that this has happened so that the glory of God might be witnessed by everybody else. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see the Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, memory verse for this week. Next. Then the Jew said, see how he loved him. Because Jesus is moved. He's moved by your pain. And what, what the lesson behind Jesus wept is the fact that there is a plan that God has for you. There's a plan that he has for my 2007 story with TB and it's painful. And Jesus weeps with me when he hears my story. There was a plan about in 1997 about the house and the building plot. And there's an end to it that has got a great message at the end now. But in the middle of that storm, you're thinking, God, where are you when all of this is happening? Easy now to look back, isn't it? And we're going to see how easy it is to look back now with this story with Lazarus, Mary and Martha. And your story has hope at the end of it. You've just got to believe it. Jesus is there. God is in your storm right now. He is alive. He is there. You just don't understand the bigger purpose. But some of them said, "Could not the, I, the He who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying?" And he goes on. Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. <clears throat> Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad order, for he has been there four days. It sounds much better in King James English. He says, we can't move the stone, for he stinketh. (laughs) It's brilliant. We can't move it away, for he stinketh. Brilliant. (laughs) And look what happens. Jesus said, did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? That's what you need to hear this morning, church. It's for you. I'm telling you, Phil is telling you, on the authority of God's word, I tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. Whatever you're going through, you'll see the glory of God in that situation. And then finally, they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He says this prayer to heaven. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. That they might believe that you sent me. Incredible demonstration of God's power, isn't it? When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes. And let him go. I find it fascinating. The scriptures and talk about any kind of party, fatted calf, or anything going on. It gives us the bad side so that we can just appreciate that there is purpose in it for God for us. So I just want to leave you with one point as I close. There's a message for all of this story. The message I want to get across to you is what I believe God asking me to share with you today is about our circumstances and God. There is this paradox between us knowing that God is good and that sometimes life sucks. Do you know what we do sometimes? It's as if we are wearing glasses. And what poor, immature, misunderstanding Christians do is they wear the glasses called their circumstances and they put them on and they look at God and God's purpose for them. And what they don't see is they don't see God's purpose clearly for them because the circumstances are clouding their judgment. Do you get that? You really need to understand this because this whole message has been an introduction leading to this pinpoint that you need to understand for you to get your breakthrough. Your breakthrough is going to come from not doing what immature people do which is to wear the glasses of circumstances and you put them on and they cloud the way we see God and his love. Christian living... Is by taking the glasses of God's love and his goodness. And we look through them to see the circumstances. We swap them round, So we look at our circumstances all the time through glasses that say God is for me. God has a plan and a purpose for me. It might not be working out how I want it to right now. But God, I just trust in you because I've got the glasses of your purpose on my eyes to allow me to look at the circumstances in a way that you want it to work. Because I want to tell you this. The waiting is not wasted. Oh, Andrea, I had one of those moments. The waiting is not wasted in God's plan. That 18 months of waiting for me with the, the, the plot thing, was that wasted? I was blessed abundantly, but I didn't know it at the time. And I was possibly a little immature then because I was looking at God's plan. God, you've got this for my family. Or and I'm looking at it through the circumstances of the gazumping and the failure and all of what's coming. What I needed to do was actually take these glasses on and begin to look at my circumstances through the eyes of God of God's purpose for us. If we can sink that deep into our hearts, we will succeed. I picked this picture deliberately. What is God doing when life sucks? Because it's a picture of prison bars. And this is written by one of the most inspiring people I know. I want to share with you two verses to close. One that's from Philippians chapter 1. Can you get that up on screen? Which is written by Paul from prison in Rome. I think Philippians 1.6 die. Whatever you're going through today. You need to hear this verse. Being confident of this. Put those glasses of God's purpose on. Look at your circumstance with confidence. And say be in confidence of this. That he who began a good work in you. Will complete it. In the day of Jesus Christ. This is Paul writing this from prison. And he gives a full lecture that finishes this in Philippians chapter 2. This is the last scripture that I'll leave you with, which just says this. Philippians chapter 2, for it is God. we got the next one. Philippians 2.13, I think. See, my memory failing me. <coughs> for it is God oh see look memory works when you need it thank you Lord for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good sorry purpose, purpose. not according to your good plans he's just finishing with his whole circle of life which is let's not be consumed and focused with the situation Let's put on the glasses of his purpose and his love, and all that he has for us, and say, "God, can you help me make sense of this, so that you have all the glory?" Amen. Amen. What a great message, yeah! I'm sure that spoke to uh, many of us here this morning. Spoke to me certainly. So, this message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter you can also contact us by phone on 01269596000